The Vanishing is a Dutch film by George Sluzer, I think is maybe maybe somewhere close to how you say his name, from uh, 1988, and it tells the story of a young couple who are on a road trip to France when the uh, girlfriend of the couple mysteriously vanishes at a uh, gas station. The film then picks up uh, three years later with the um, presumed abductor of the the girlfriend noticing a poster suggesting that she's been missing for three years and that her boyfriend has not stopped looking for her. Uh, the rest of the film follows the search of the uh, boyfriend for the 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 girlfriend and some backstory on uh, what's going on with the with the abductor, ending in a extremely uh, surprising uh, ending. Uh, and with that, I'll introduce my guest for this month. Uh, it's my friend Herb. Uh, hey, Herb, how you doing? I'm doing very well, Art. Thank you for having me. Oh, very, very glad to have you on the show. And uh, I, I chose this film for you because you specifically asked to watch a Dutch film, and this was the uh, the only one in the Criterion Collection. So <laughs> it made it very, very easy to choose. What the heck's up with there not being enough Dutch films in the collection? But um, let me let me start by asking you, you know, uh, did did you like it? I liked it very much. I thought this was a fantastic movie um, on pretty much every level. The performances were great. Uh, it looked great. And it was uh, really uh, unique in terms of structure. And uh, uh, yeah, I, I found it very haunting. And, and I watched it probably about four or five days ago. And I still find myself thinking about it. Yeah, it's definitely one of those films, uh, I felt the same way, where like, you know, that night I was really thinking about it, and I couldn't kind of stop stop processing it, and then even days later, I was still sort of dealing with everything about it, and just trying to like put it together in my head. I think that that's, that's kind of rare, I mean, you know, the, that's the best films, right? Like, I really, really, really liked this film. Yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was great. One thing that I thought was hilarious, though, I think it worked really well for the film, but the, the music in the film mm -hmm. was like, so 80s, like, yeah. synth- synth uh, uh suspense <laughs> i thought it was a great score though yeah well, no, it was excellent from from yeah. the very opening um it kind of had that like uh i i associate that type of score with a lot of like 80s british television productions oh interesting and uh uh it had kind of like this weird kind of like bluesy thing and then like really intense synth moments that it would use to punctuate the more uh uh you know intense scenes but i i thought the score was magnificent very, very dated, but sort of in the way that you can enjoy like a, a Tears for Fears album if you're willing to kind of look past the fact that it sounds so much of its time. It, it, it's very well executed. Yeah, it's like the difference between seeing something that is uh, of its time but an incredible you know, moment of its time, incredible uh, quality of its time, and just looking at something that's just of its time. So this is something where, yeah, it's undeniably you know cheesy 80s synth music, but the, in that wonderful way. I'm also a big fan of among other things, Tears for Fears, mm -hmm. and it has that, that definitely has that vibe where you're like, oh, this is so of its time, but but so wonderful. I, I really, and I thought it worked really well j just in general with the story as well, which is also, you know, very, very uh, 80s centered, although I don't think it's one of those ones where, um, I think it would still work even with cell phones. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, maybe uh, uh, if they introduce, like, modern forensics, I don't know how that would impact the story, but uh, it, it does feel pretty timeless, you know? There are there are movies from this era that just feel so dated, just in terms of the values or, or just the, uh, the way the characters behave. It just, you know, logic in a lot of movies from almost 30 years ago is, is just sort of different. We're more savvy collectively as an audience, and we expect more. 
and I think this film doesn't in that respect doesn't feel dated at all. Yeah, there's like that part where um where the 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 kidnapper or whatever he uh he they're talking about whether or not uh, the coins that, that were used in the vending machine, mm-hmm. whether or not they would have his fingerprints on them. And he said, mm-hmm. oh, no, I, I, if I had used coins, I would have held them by the, the edge. I don't actually think that's true, by the way. I think Yeah, no, they, they explicitly show him at the end of the movie, and he actually touches a number of things that yeah. his fingerprints would be on. Yeah. He's, he's bluffing. Yeah, and he gets away with it. The film is loaded with so many moments like that. It's just so well structured from top to bottom, where if you're paying attention, it's just a really rewarding experience, because it's so... It's so tight and it's so well assembled and so well constructed that uh, uh, you know I, I can't wait to watch it again. As as bleak as the film is, it, <laughs> yeah, it's not a fun fun movie. It's not a good it's not a good time. Uh, you know, <laughs> we we uh, we discussed before the recording that we're not going to give away the entirety of the film, and it's uh, completely worth anyone's time to watch this movie. But you know, buyer beware, it is not an up uplifting film it's not a it's not a breezy good time this is a an intense thoughtful uh, uh harrowing experience <laughs> yeah absolutely no if, if you if you're like man i'm having a, a down day i should watch something to, to give me a pick me up this would be probably the worst possible thing you could you could put on but it is yeah uh, harrowing's right but but very um it's an incredibly enjoyable experience even as it's like soul-destroyingly dark and and uh, depressing yeah, yeah, I uh, I completely agree. So, um, uh, speaking of uh, parts of the film we are going to talk about the plot of, though, one thing I really liked of the film, um, and this is like the most minor of spoilers, but if you are someone who uh, doesn't like spoilers, then and you haven't seen this, and we've already somehow managed to sell you on it, then I guess stop listening now, but come back when you're done. But uh, in the early part where they're so they're so the boyfriend and the girlfriend Rex and uh, and Saskia, right, is her name? I think that's uh, probably right. The pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, it's all in Dutch, but um, they're driving through the mountains to France, and uh, there's a there's like a moment where I, as I was watching it, I went, oh. Oh, he's gonna, she's gonna disappear now. Because, you know, the movie's called The Vanishing. So it's not like I didn't know there was gonna be a vanishing. Yeah. So I'm Spoiler like... Spoiler warning, someone vanishes. Right. And so it's very early in the film. They're, they're in the tunnel, right? Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh, this is where she's gonna vanish. That's so predictable. And then that's not at all what happens. Yeah, there's a few moments early in the film where you feel like the characters are in peril and everything is fine. Yeah, it's so smart, though. It's like they know that you know, because the movie's called The Vanishing. Even in Dutch, I think it translates as The Vanishing or Vanished or it's, something uh, like that. Basically, Sporlos uh, translates to Without a Trace. Okay, so either way, you know, like, some kind of vanishy thing is going on, some kind of disappearance. And they, the director knows that you know that, and so it's like setting you up to, to, be, to have the rug pulled out from under you a couple times, which is like real, I thought it was really great. Yeah, I, there's so much about this film that is, is unorthodox, and uh, a lot of that, um, you know, I guess, what, what genre would you call this? Yeah, that's a really good question. I still suppose people would probably put it as like a suspense thriller, right? Like that's sort of like, if it, I picture it, back when I worked at a, a video store, I figured like this would be in like the suspense section. Yeah, I feel like uh, I used to work at a video store as well, and we would put this in the miscellaneous. <laughs> <laughs> it would probably be in cult, actually, yeah, just because yeah. of the whatever. But yeah, I don't know. I guess, yeah, I guess I would say it's a... It's it's it is a hard one to I agree it's a hard one to sort of place I, I I just checked the Wikipedia entry and there's no they don't even they don't even try yeah I mean I think you're right I think the most the most apt genre would would be suspense thriller yeah but it's kind of like a a uh, uh, disguising itself it's a suspense thriller and it's really just this kind of very philosophical movie that's sort of exploring 
human nature and uh, uh, purpose and, and, and drive and... Uh, uh, this is why I'm such a great podcast guest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the film in some ways is like a, a rumination on the... Uh, I've seen someone say that it was about the, the um, banality of evil. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I saw that. I think that I think that quote is somewhere on the Wikipedia page. And uh, I thought that was interesting. And I, I read that before I saw the movie. And I don't know if I completely agree with that. Well, I think it's it's maybe maybe in the sense of like... You know, very early on we learn that the... Or I guess actually we don't learn this particular thing until later, but we learn at some point that the only reason that, that this particular woman, Saskia, was the victim was purely coincidental. There are many coincidences yeah. that, that lead to her abduction. Right. Um, uh, an event that happened earlier in the abductor's life with his daughter is basically kind of the, uh, the initial uh, factor that kind of puts him in that direction. But then... A birthday present that he receives, the fact that he sneezes at a particular moment, the fact that he encounters a woman who was his uh, daughter's volleyball coach. All these sort of really happenstance, unlikely events conspire to get Saskia specifically abducted. And that's one of the really interesting things about the movie and something that is kind of explicitly uh, uh, the characters reflect upon, you know. Yeah, and I think it, 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 uh, it, it's more disturbing... In a sense, because, you know, it's, it's telling you there's nothing you could have done to stop this. There's nothing you could have done to predict this. There's really no, no one makes, you know, in a lot of like horror movies, you know, you, especially from the 80s, you're like, what the, what the hell? Why would you go in that room? Yeah. Why would you do this and that? And there is a moment that I want to talk about in this film that I think does suffer from that problem, but it's not this part. And I'm excited because I, I don't know what that could be. <laughs> <laughs> but this part, it's like, there's nothing this woman could have done differently. There's nothing the man could have done differently that would not have led her to be abducted. And I think that that's, if you, if you think and sit and think about that for a while, it's like, you know, well, I don't want to leave my house because this guy could be anyone. And there's nothing inherently, um, I, I think later on we're going to talk about the tragically terrible American remake that we both watched of this oh, movie. Oh, I can't wait. And, uh, and, 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 and in contrast to that, there's nothing particularly obvious about the villainy of this guy, the, the abductor. Well, right? he does have a mustacheless go- goatee. <laughs> 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 yes, he does. Well, but he just might mean you know you want to build a barn with him. Like he might be a might be an excellent yeah. you know. <laughs> his name should be like Jedediah. Can or we? I, all the performances in this movie are great, but can we take a moment to acknowledge how wonderful he in particular is? And oh, I cannot God, yeah. pronounce the actor's name. He's French. It's Bernard Pierre. Uh, yeah, it's it's Bernard Pierre Donadieu. I think uh, he apparently is a little method. He was uh, uh, not easy to work with for the other members of the cast. But uh, he is just, it's a, it's a really complicated role, because this is a, a, a character who is not outwardly very emotional, um, and he's, he's very thoughtful and uh, uh, driven by this sort of sense of purpose and this need to know something about himself. And it's it's such a masterful performance from start to finish. Oh, right? yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, oftentimes when we have a movie like this, we say, oh, it wouldn't have worked without this performance. But in this case, we actually know that. For, again, when we talk about the American version, like, yeah. if that role's not right, the entire film falls apart. And he's... He manages to balance because he's also like a family man, right? And he's mm-hmm. like very loving towards his wife and children. He's very, like, nice to random people. Like, he's not... You know he's nervous. He's he's got a lot going on, and he's he's not. Um, again, he's not. Con- this isn't like 
uh, you know, twirling your non-mustache and, and tying ladies <laughs> to the to the railroad tracks. Like yeah. he's, there's nothing villainous really about him. He's which is in 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 a lot of ways, you know, all the more more terrifying. You know, and and uh, in some ways, this film to me was like very reminiscent. Have you ever seen uh, the Hitchcock film The Lady Vanishes? I have, yeah. And so it reminds me, you know, obviously this storyline sort of starts, I think in his cinema history, this, this storyline sort of starts with that, mm-hmm. right? The, the sort of like mysterious abduction and no one knows exactly what's going on. Or even if, you know, in that, in that case, like if she even was abducted in this one, like what's the, you know, what's the deal? And like, you know, maybe she just ran away. The guy never knows in this film or uh, doesn't know for whether, um, you know, she ran away on him or whether she was abducted or what's going on. Yeah. Um, and, but, you know, that film didn't have, that film has like a collection of comical villains, right? Whereas this film has like a singular evil that is uh banal i would say and that's really scary the lady vanishes is more about a conspiracy right and this is really just um about uh bad uh, luck yeah really bad luck just a a straight up textbook sociopath um who doesn't really uh, uh have any sense of of morality just testing the limits of of whatever morality he might have. Oh yeah, well so he so the, the the bad guy is a bad guy because he discovered that he is capable of actions that he doesn't feel like normal people are and wants to see if he's ultimately capable of of what well, as he put it puts it the worst thing he can think of to do to someone yeah. which is not murder. He's done he's he does something extremely virtuous and heroic and he suspects that he's not as heroic as he might think and the only way he can prove prove to himself whether or not he is a hero is to do, as you just said, the worst thing he can think of doing to another person. <laughs> Which, that's, I mean, that's really horrible logic. It sounds so silly, you know? Yeah. And, and when you kind of, if you, you kind of like make a, a, a list of sort of the events and, and, and various aspects of the story, it's, it doesn't really seem like it would make for compelling cinema, but it's just so well executed. Um, yeah, not just the acting, which is, as you said, phenomenal, but also I, it's, it's such a beautiful film. I mean, like the the there's so many moments where I was like specifically noticing how how beautiful beautifully well shot it was. Like for oh, example, my, yeah. there's the example. There's the scene in the cafe where mm-hmm. um, we know that the abductor is there, sitting a few tables from uh, Rex, the main the boyfriend. Yeah, he he becomes sort of fascinated with this guy because he's trying to find out what happened to his girlfriend for years, and he sort of coaxes him out with postcards and will spy on him without ever confronting him. Right. And so you're you're we, the audience knows that they're both sitting a few tables from each other, but we know that that the that Rex, the boyfriend, doesn't know what the abductor looks like. So the shot has him blurred out in the background, even though he's pretty close to the main guy, and we never see his face clearly uh when he's around uh Rex because Rex doesn't know what he looks like, which I thought was like absolutely brilliant yeah and and really harrowing you know that scene you know there's a lot of tension there and nothing really happens but the tension is just you know manifested by the 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 circumstances i i also really liked the scene where he returns to that cafe and he's screaming yeah Um, Uh it's the middle of the night and he's screaming and and it's a great shot and it's really you know economic filmmaking i don't think the uh i don't think the camera cuts for maybe uh 30 seconds to a minute and you kind of slowly see all the lights come on and, and people coming out of their buildings and, and, and yelling at the main character while he's having this breakdown in this, like, really beautiful French, you know, uh, uh, town square. It, it, it's just uh, wonderful. And the film is, is just loaded with moments like that. Uh, absolutely. It's, it, it really heightens everything that's going on. I mean, again, this, this storyline is pretty sparse and a little, you know, possibly hokey. I don't think it is. But, you know, 
there's some play. It could go in a lot of different directions, and it just uh, it, it, I think it it works so well just because of the the, the the acting and the technical fluency of the of the camera work and everything like that. But everything about it, just like the design of everything, like the way you know the clothing, the, the costume design, the, the 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 cars that they're driving, like mm-hmm. the, the keychain, like everything's kind of like pretty perfect along the way. Like there's really not a misstep there, and everything has a reason for being there. When I was in high school, I had an English teacher who defined uh, uh, great writing as as every word had a reason for being there. Every every single word was very carefully considered and and informed everything else. And I think really good filmmaking is sort of the same. Everything has a purpose, and this movie is a great example of that. Um, every scene informs everything else you know it's all it's all connected there's nothing superfluous in this film with possibly one exception what did you think of his second girlfriend (laughs) i like the second girlfriend actually so i i i know i kind of know why you asked that or i think i know why you asked that but i'm curious to know what you thought of her but i thought that she provided an interesting uh rationale sort of for how he was maybe at least attempting to move on with his life uh-huh. Or whatever, and I mean, he met her. I don't know. It was a little weird and random that he met her. I think through online dating, computer dating in the eighties. Is that what they say? Because I don't really remember. Remember the scene where like the computer's there after she like leaves him. Yeah, that scene is a little bizarre. It's a little random. Yeah, yeah. I, you know what? Part of the reason why I would defend her is just because I kind of, I just thought that actress was really good. She was great. Yeah, and I, I liked that she was there because it, it showed. Just how far gone he was, you know. He, you know, whatever else happens to this character in this movie, by the time that we've advanced three years, he's already a broken man. He's already, yeah. you know, lost, so to speak. And yeah. the seeing the dissolution of this new relationship because he can't let go of the past, kind of shows, you know, illustrates where the character is at. My only problem with it was that every everything else in the film rings so true, and I didn't quite understand how that relationship would even get to that point. So I do question that as well, that, like, she seemed to be pretty into him, and he was so dysfunctional that I don't know, like, how she would ever... But I have a theory as to why that makes sense. And I do think that it's critically important that she's there, mainly because um, if she's not there, then I think we could just assume that he's completely not... uh, He's completely, like, looking for her and in love with her and, like, trying to find his old girlfriend, right? Like, completely Uh obsessed. And that's not actually what's going on with him, right? Like, he's obsessed yep. with the knowledge, not the the reality. And so I think it would suffer, the ending, or later parts in the film would suffer if we didn't see that, like, him saying stuff to her, like, um, so what he wants is actually not to be back together with his girlfriend. He wants to know what happened to her. And, and he says that he would rather find out that she was dead and have her be dead than not know what happened to her. Like, if yeah. he could choose between her being alive and away and her being dead and him knowing about it, he would choose that. Yeah, and that's, so, that's a really terrifying moment, and it's a really great example. And, and I agree, like, her being in the story for that purpose but also, works. But also, and this is where we get to it, is that remember that when we flash, when we flash forward from, uh, from the, the her disappearing to the poster... It's right around the same time. The whole the deal is that he puts up those posters on a certain schedule. Yep. Right. So, to my way of thinking, it's possible that uh, at some point along that schedule, he kind of lets it go a little bit more and meets this because I don't think the relationship with this other woman is that old. I think it's it's in the months. Mm-hmm. So maybe he like gets to a point where he's kind of like okay, you know, 
she knows that his past, so she's understanding anyway. She likes him. He's an attractive guy, blah, blah, blah. He's cool. Uh, they start dating, and then as the time period when the the anniversary shows up, then he starts falling back into it and gets c- c- just completely consumed. And in this particular anniversary, obviously, um, it goes a lot farther and, and, and a lot of crazy stuff happens. But, like, imagine if it was the anniversary before. He probably still goes through, you know, the same way that anyone yeah. who lost a loved one will will be unpleasant or be, you know, be, have it, find it difficult or just be sad or whatever around that time of year. I, I, I absolutely, I buy that. And I only bring up this character because it's the one thing to me that isn't completely reconciled in my own mind and right. in my own memory of this film. And yeah. I'm sure watching it again, that, that will come more into focus, but it's the, uh, you know, I think it's otherwise, honestly, a, a perfect film. Yeah. And I'm not saying that this, you know, isn't, isn't uh, within that perfection. I just, you know, I haven't. It doesn't totally ruin the film in any way. No, not yeah. at all. Not at all. You know, uh, speaking of everything being in its place, I'm sure you saw this on the Wikipedia page, but I found it very interesting. Was that um, another director who's sort of known for having everything have a purpose in their films, mm-hmm. Stanley Kubrick, was apparently like a massive fan of this film. Yeah, said he that watched it, was, it. I guess like ten times. Yeah, in the said it was of the, the scariest film he'd ever seen. Yep. Called the the director for editing tips. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I see it. I get why. And he casts the female lead in the uh, Holocaust movie that he was going to make and abandoned because of Schindler's List. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Which, that, that would have been dark. Yeah, she <laughs> she's okay with it. I read an interview with her, and she said that uh, it was disappointing, but, you know, that's the nature of the business, and that's the way it goes. <laughs> she's a pretty good attitude. Yeah, that's that's a good attitude to have, for if, sure. If we can just take a few steps back, I, I do want to uh, uh, comment. You, you were talking about the scene where he said if he ha- could choose between her being alive and not knowing what happened or her being dead and knowing what happened. Yeah. That's, that is the kind of stuff that this movie does so well. When he says that, it's a really just kind of terrifying moment, you know? And it's not terrifying because something's happening. It's terrifying because you realize the way that this character sees the world. It's, it's the type of horror that this movie does or whatever you want to call it. But that's the kind of thing that this movie is just, just executes so well, so consistently and, and from start to finish. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, um, okay, so I said earlier that I thought there was one sort of horror cliche moment. And I don't really mean that in, like, the don't go into the room kind of way. Mm-hmm. It's more of the, the what I would describe as the uh, Blair Witch problem, which is, you, for everyone who remembers the Blair Witch, like, why the hell would you go into those woods? Like, what is the best case scenario? Yeah, why would you go to France? Is that where you're going with this? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but it's like... You know, you know that there's a legend of a witch in the woods. Mm-hmm. The worst case, the, in your mind, the worst case scenario is nothing happens, right? You don't find her. You're in the woods. What's the best case scenario? She's there, and then what? Like you, they don't really think that through. You get her pot of gold. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, you know, he's seeking out the person that he believes is responsible for this crime. Yes, and with no plan for sort of what to do if he ever finds the person. Uh, except, I guess, hoping that that his his sincere desire for knowledge will uh, disarm the, the whoever this is and and get them. Not, I mean, why would he think that this person that if he were to find this kidnapper, abductor, whatever, that they wouldn't do something? You know, what do they? What does he think is going to happen? You know what I mean? It's like I, I see what you're saying, but I think that's kind of the point. This is a, well, yeah. This is a broken man. He's yeah. wasted. It's clear in the film. He's wasted all his money in his campaign to kind of reach out to this guy and get yeah. any information whatsoever yeah. about his uh, uh, girlfriend's disappearance, and he gets nothing. Over the course of three years, it's clear that there has been nothing that has given him any information to encourage him to continue this pursuit, but he can't let it go. 
Yeah, and that's what ultimately the conclusion I came to, which is that, and that's why I think it's so important that the that the new girlfriend's there because he basically cannot live his life without Noah. Yeah, because she's a lovely young woman. She is. Yeah, she just just he should give yeah, up yeah. the pursuit. Yeah, because she's she likes him. There's and... a a great line. I wrote it down, and I, I want to read it. She Please. says to him, "If you want to do something meaningful with your life." Come lie with me in the sun and do nothing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, she's great, and she clearly is into him. And he claims that even if his ex girlfriend—I guess you would say ex—was uh, yeah. there, he would still choose this new woman that he's dating. He likes mm-hmm. her more than he liked his ex. Blah blah. blah. But he's just—he—he's like you know, curious George or something. He just like can't. He's obsessed with knowing what happened. He can't deal with the fact that that she that she uh, disappeared without a trace, as the Dutch yeah. title indicates. Yeah. Uh, this movie is not without its funny moments. There's one sure. scene that made me laugh out loud that I thought was uh, uh, just great. Which he, one was that? Uh, he's at the rest stop and he sort of realizes that his girlfriend is missing. And he's scouring the whole area uh, to try to find her. And he opens up the door to the women's room and it's like, Saskia, Saskia. And someone says, hey, this isn't the men's room. And he opens the door to the men's room and he says, Saskia, Saskia. And someone says, hey. This isn't the woman's room. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that. That's that's really funny. Yeah, there were a few moments like that for sure. It's not. Well, I don't want to imply, and I don't think uh, you want to either, that it's like a slog. Or it's an extraordinarily entertaining movie. It's just not uplifting. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, it's not hard to watch. It's like you know, actually hard not to watch in a lot of ways. It's like very there, hard to there are movies that are famously difficult to watch, like Requiem for a Dream sure. or Audition, sure, things like sure. that, that are just really. Uh, uh, you know, torture porn. You know, <laughs> and uh, this is this is not one of those movies. It's no. very it's very beautiful. Yeah. And uh, even though the characters don't really leave the film uh, better off than when the film started, uh, no, so I wouldn't to speak. say so. Yeah, but, I wouldn't say so. Uh, uh, you know, as a as a viewer, you know, you really take a lot away from it, and it, it, it's really a lot of food for thought. Yeah, so I, I want to talk about the American remake. Is there anything else about this particular version you wanted to say before we got into that? You know, as a transition, I, I just want to say, uh, I, we, we mentioned it, but I just want to reiterate, one, one of the things that this film does so well that the American remake completely abandons is, is the way that it's structured. It's very unorthodox. It completely kind of subverts like a, a typical, you know, uh, uh, plot structure and in a way that... Uh, really kind of makes you examine sort of the details of these events in, in a way that you wouldn't if they were just laid out in a straightforward, like, uh, chronological fashion. Yeah, so there's a lot of flashbacks, but they're not done in a confusing... Like, they're not Pulp Fiction flash, flashbacks. They're very... Uh, they, I guess they a little bit are, but they, they are very, like, useful and helpful. To, they, they lay out the story in a way where you're getting the information you need when you need it, even if you don't necessarily realize that until until midway through. Yeah, and there's, there's a lot of kind of thrilling moments where maybe initially you're like, wait... What's going on now? And then yeah. it sort of dawns on you what you're watching, and it's yeah. extremely effective. Totally. Yeah. I thought the I thought the plot structure was one of the best things about the film. And as you mentioned, and let's jump into it. So the so uh, this film came out in 1988, and uh, came out it in the was, states in 1991. Yeah, and it was so successful in the states in 1991 that the same director was offered a chance to bring his film to uh, America in in 1993, and um, he he adapted his own script, right? No, he did not. He didn't? No. Oh, he had by... help. That's right. He had written his own script. He didn't do the adaptation of the American one. That's right. So they got an American writer. Of course. They got an American writer to adapt the script, but he directed it with a different cinematographer, and it is... Uh, 
Wikipedia calls it possibly the worst remake of all time, and I, I, I'm not I'm not sure I would even disagree with that. It is I, I try, terrible. I try to avoid hyperbole, and when uh, I read that on the Wikipedia page as well, I thought, okay, this is typical hyperbole and criticism, and I'm not going to take the bait. I'm going to watch this movie with an open mind, and uh, I have to say, like, I, I can't think of a worse remake that I've ever seen. <laughs> no, it is absolutely horrible i mean it is it's it's funny in completely unintentional ways it the casting is wrong beyond all possible reckoning the 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 story structure is destroyed the Mm -hmm. the additions there are a bunch of plot additions that add nothing of value of any kind and the uh ultimately the 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 stereotypical Hollywood slasher film ending, which is completely unrelated to the ending of the uh, of the original film, is an abomination. Yeah, this remake takes the last like twenty minutes or so of the uh, original version and extends it to about half of the movie. <laughs> yeah, it's interminable. Yeah. It's and, so uh, horrible. Uh, it does change the ending in a way that you just roll your eyes. You know, it's the quintessential Hollywoodization of a, of a story, you know? Yeah. If you were a young director in Europe and you'd made a, a masterpiece and Hollywood came calling and they said, we want to help you bring this to America, they should show you this film to say, don't do it. Yeah, this goes beyond the Brazil Love Conquers All Cut. This is... Oh, yeah. This is, Way beyond, yeah. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, I mean, let's just, like, delve in. There's so much that's <laughs> wrong about this movie. It stops and it starts, or it doesn't stop... It starts with uh, Jeff Bridges. Yeah, it's all Jeff Bridges, really. Well, not all, but it's... it's oh God. So it's pretty clear. This movie came out in 93. In 1991, the Oscar winner was Silence of the Lambs. That was an extremely successful movie, both commercially and critically. Arik, I know you're not a fan. No. It's neither here nor there. It was a very successful film. Yes. It is pretty clear to me that this movie was greenlit because the studio wanted some of those Silence of the Lambs dollars. And they hoped in this Jeff Bridges interpretation of the uh, abductor, they had the next Hannibal Lecter. And his, <laughs> his mannered speech and the way that he walks, it's just, it is such a silly, comical performance. I, I'm not even going to attempt to do an impression of the way that he speaks. No. It, is, it is just absurd. You know, he sounds like uh, uh, Milton from Office Space, the Where's My Stapler guy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, it's, it, he, so as I said, the, 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 the villain in the, or the, the guy, the, the abductor in the, in the first film is a measured, thoughtful, interesting, deep character. Jeff Bridges in this film is a comic book supervillain who's not even done well. Yeah. Right? He's just like, he's that, he's that unbelievably weird guy that if you met him in real life, you'd be like, what the hell is this dude's deal? Like, you would definitely never get in a car with him or yeah. really talk to him. I don't really believe he had a wife and daughter. I definitely don't believe his daughter would think he was capable of having an affair. Like, that, it's just like... There's a genuine chemistry in the original with the, the abductor and his daughter. You know, yes. you believe that there's a, a two-way affection. Yeah, or especially on the daughter's part. Yeah, yeah. In the remake, it's, it's completely unconvincing. Yeah. Because um, he's a clown. Yeah. Because he's an evil clown. And not even in a cool way. Jeff Bridges is in a lot of bad movies. You know, like any actor who works a lot ends sure. up making a lot of bad movies. Sure. But I don't. I can't think of anything that he's been this bad in. You know, at the risk of piling on the hyperbole, like this is probably the worst performance of his that I've ever seen. Oh yeah. Well, and he'll be in bad movies where he's not bad. 
Yeah, right? like, like R.I.P.D. Yeah, he can raise up, you know, he can actually kind of be the shining part of a terrible movie, not in this one. He is he is terrible. And when, when you make early 90s Kiefer Sutherland and Sandra Bullock look, like, extremely <laughs> credible, like, you know that you have... Fail. By the way, it's like, oh, we've got this, you know, awesome Dutch film with like unnamed, unknown actors, and it's like they're amazing. Who do we want to give it? Sandra fucking Bullock. Like, well, she was not. Uh, I didn't know. Was she not swear on this podcast? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, well, it's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I try to keep it. You <laughs> I'm know, not going to overdo it. <laughs> I try to keep it family friendly. You know, uh, Sandra Bullock was not a star. When, oh, okay. When the remake. All came right. Out. This is before. This is before like the net. Did you know that the budget of the remake was about ten times the budget of the original? Well, and it lost like nine million dollars. That makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that, it, you know I don't know what they spent it on. I mean, it must have been the actors. Yeah, it must be the actors because it, it looks terrible. It is just a very mono monochromatic. Uh, uh, it's just not a good looking movie. Everything no, and is with very none of and with none of the same attention to detail. Like the cars aren't right. Like the clothing isn't right. The I, and don't get me started on the horrific performance of, of Nancy Travis as the as the new girlfriend. So yes. in the one one of the things that I think we we have to mention is that the remake takes this very minor character that you even questioned whether needed to be in the original mm-hmm. film and makes her like the main person in the movie. Practically, she's almost as big a deal as the boyfriend. They needed their Clarice Starling. They needed yeah. They and needed she, a showdown. So terrible that scene with the wig. Yeah, so that's that's definitely the single silliest moment in the entire film. Do, do you want to break this down, Eric? Yeah, I mean, okay. This so, is incredible. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, as we've said, this is a film, you know, it, the, the American film has the same basic plot. So the the uh, boyfriend, girlfriend are traveling. In this case, they're in Seattle, which did add some amount of joy for me because that is my hometown. But they're <laughs> in Washington State, and they're going to look at, like, uh, uh, some nature stuff. And, they, and, um, and she gets kidnapped or whatever. She disappears. We don't know. And then um, he finds a new a new girlfriend, and at some point in the film, she basically says, "You need to stop obsessing over this woman. You know, I can't do it anymore." And he says he will, and she discovers that he hasn't. How, and how does she discover that? She, <laughs> she, so he's in the in the remake. He's a novelist uh, who's been asked to write a novel about his the disappearance of his girlfriend, which sounds like a really horrible thing to do to someone that, yeah. that seems really terrible yeah. and he claims to but he's supposed to be writing some other book and so he tells his girlfriend that he's writing this other book but he has the file like password protected on his mac se or whatever he, and he's an established anagram enthusiast as most novelists are as most novelists are and so she she de- she determines that his password she can't not know what his novel's about she suspects something is up and so she cracks she does some hacking and cracks the anagram <laughs> of of his thing, which turns out to be R Vanished. Which is an anagram for the missing girl's... Uh, uh, no, yeah, name. for the missing woman's name. Sandra Bullock's character's name. Diane Shaver. Is Shaver. For, yeah. Is, is <laughs> Shaver is a anagram for the R, R Vanished, which, man, they really... They put their they put their backs out on that she one. She tries really for that. she tries some anagrams with her own name first. And yeah, which is so sad. Frustrating. So out. sad that that doesn't work out. So she discovers that it's a novel about the disappearance of the of the first girlfriend, and she shows up at this like seedy motel or something that he's hiding out in, wearing a wig to look like Sandra Bullock. Now, I I hate to correct you, and I hate please to take no, please away, do. But what actually it he just says that motel? he's working on a novel and. It's a children's novel for about two pages, and she's like, "Oh yeah, relieved. that's right." Yeah, and then she scrolls through, and it's not—it's not a novel about. Oh, it's, you're it's, right. No, you're right. You're he's right. writing letters yeah. to Diane about how her, much he misses. Yeah, about how yeah. much he misses her, and how she's getting suspicious, and how he's moved his 
HQ to a new location. Right. And that's how she realizes no, you're that right. he has not given up the you're pursuit right. at all. I'll be honest with you, everyone out there. I watched this movie and immediately tried to forget as much about it as I possibly could. But, yes. So he, so she tracks him down at his new HQ and uh, is wearing... But she, he is wearing the wig of... To make her look like Sandra Bullock. There's no... They don't establish that he owns a wig or she owns a wig. <laughs> I don't know if she stopped on her way. Buys a wig. To buy a wig, yeah. yeah. And and shows up and busts in and and what does she say, Herb? She says, Isn't this what you want? Yeah. I want my man oh. I want my man to have like I want to make sure my man has what he wants. Yeah, I like to please my man. And is, is this when she says I'm not the dumbest bitch ever? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it is it is so terrible. Like it's not even bad, so bad it's good bad. It's so bad yeah. that it's wrapped back not, around to bad again. Do not watch this movie. No. We watch this movie so for you. you don't have to. Do for not you. watch this movie. It is excruciating. Yeah. Except for maybe the Miss Carmichael scene. That, <sighs> yeah. <laughs> it's, an, it, it's every change they made is wrong. It is a terrible desecration of an, an, an excellent film. Yeah. They, yeah. they restructure it to make it chronological. They're clearly trying to make things less confusing for the audience. Uh, there's a brilliant, you know, a lot of the original uh, is just showing uh, the abductor's preparation for the abduction. And it's also, it's compelling because he's going about it so methodically and so intelligently that you, you, you just kind of are drawn in. And that's yeah. very horrific. Yeah. And Jeff Bridges in the remake does a lot of the same things, but they have to spell everything out. In the, uh, he has this uh, 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 kind of second home, vacation home that's uh, uh, in a rural area where he wants to do bad stuff, and uh, he uh, is kind of testing the feasibility of doing it. He, in order to test the feasibility of doing it, he hides a spider in his drawer, in a drawer at the house in both movies, and kind of tricks his daughter into discovering it, so she'll scream so that he can then check with his neighbors to see if they heard the scream. Yeah, which is really disturbing in the original. Yeah, very disturbing in the original. Yeah. But in, in, you know, they also don't show him stealing a spider and putting it in the place. Like, you you slowly realize what's happened. You know, the, the, the film respects the audience enough to figure out what's happened. Right. And that's part of the joy of watching it, and it's part of what makes it so compelling. In the remake, we have to see Jeff Bridges, you know, find the spider, put it in, and then you get the sort of truncated version of the same scene that isn't as compelling. Well, he has it's, that fucking, the, 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 the cooler. Yeah. The picnic with like a million spiders. Yeah. Too. It's just over yeah. the top. It's so dumb. It's, it's so bad. Seriously, don't watch it. Don't watch it. Uh, w- that's enough about that. That terrible, terrible let's, movie. Let's never speak of it again. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let us never speak of this again. So, um, her before we... We wrap up this episode. Uh, you went to something cool that's relevant, potentially relevant to the interests of the people who listen to this podcast. I did, yes. Uh, I went to the Castro Theater in San Francisco, where they're uh, annually they award the. Uh, I have to actually read it because I can't remember. It's the Mel Novikov Award. Uh, Mel Novikov was a uh, uh, a San Francisco film exhibitionist <laughs> exhibitor. <laughs> Uh, that's great the award is given annually to an individual or an institution whose work has enhanced the film-going public's knowledge and appreciation of cinema 
And this year, they gave it to Janus Films and Criterion Collection. Yeah. And uh, uh, Peter Becker and Jonathan Torrell, who I was not familiar with prior to uh, attending this event, they accepted on behalf of the uh, Janus Films and Criterion. Yeah, so Peter Becker and Jonathan Torrell are the uh, are the co-presidents, uh, owners of the Criterion Collection. And uh, yeah, this, so this was a screening of Blood Simple. Yeah, their most recent restoration is the Coen Brothers' first film, Blood Simple. And after they interviewed... Uh, Becker and Terrell for a little while, the Coen brothers came out with Barry Sonnenfeld and talked about Blood Simple. And it was uh, extremely entertaining and interesting. I I don't want to go on about it too long because I feel like this is uh, probably going a little long anyway. Uh, but I will say that they did um, clarify with their new streaming service. Yeah, uh, Filmstruck. Is, Filmstruck. With the new streaming... We actually discussed this because uh, you know I felt like Hulu was doing a pretty good job. And I said, well they had better put the special features on this new service mm-hmm. if they're going to switch it over. And they did confirm the special features will be available uh, through the, the new streaming service. Yeah, I have big, very high hopes for Filmstruck, so we'll, uh, we'll see what happens. They, uh, they were definitely trying to use this as an opportunity to pitch that, and they asked Joel Cohen what some of his favorite Criterion special features were, and he clearly had never watched any. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, I really just like the movies. <laughs> oh, the knife. The knife. That, oh, that's great. But it was a really uh, fun event. I had never seen Blood Simple, and I'll also endorse that. That's a wonderful movie. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, I think there might be an archive of the interview. If you're really a, a criterion junkie like my friend Arik here, you might uh, <laughs> get a little bit out of it. Right on. Um, cool. Well, so uh, thank you very much for um, watching this film that I chose for you, and I'm glad you liked it. Thank and, you. Thanks uh, for recommending it. I don't know that I would have watched it otherwise, and I'm so glad that I did. Right on. That's that's what we hope to do here. So in that vein, um, we'll be back next time uh, to watch the film that, that you chose for me. In the meantime, uh, listeners who want to know more about the show can find out more on Twitter at CinemaGadfly or CinemaGadfly.com or uh, you know subscribe in all the places you can subscribe and leave us reviews and ratings and all the other things that are delightful. We really, I really appreciate getting any kind of feedback from everyone and, and hearing about it always makes me very, very happy. So uh, until then, um, I'll say goodnight. Jeff and Diane were the perfect couple on a perfect getaway. For a cold beer or something? Beer, that'd be great. Until they made their first stop.